I'm Steve, and joining me today, uh, he's a little Johnny-come-lately rock star, and did he, did he almost miss the recording because he's playing Bloodborne in the year of our Lord, 2022? Why, yes. Yes, he did. Jack Eason's here. And Jack, why Steve, the fuck aren't you playing Elden Ring? What are you doing? Because that's $60, and Bloodborne was free for me at this juncture. I keep saying I'm I'm a gamer now. You got to live with my life choices. That's <laughs> what's going to happen. So I'm I'm a gamer. I'm going to get into Mountain Dew. Going to get into racism, and I'm going to play <laughs> Bloodborne. <laughs> That's it. You can't you can't stop me. Jack, you got to go with the G fuel. It's uh, I I I would say it's a surprisingly affordable alternative to energy drinks. I thought I thought Mountain Dew was chief fuel. Sorry, is there something else they have? More caffeine? No, this is this is like some sort of a. It's not. A, it's like a smaller company that just like piggybacks off YouTube gaming culture, but is is really it's just like uh, Kool Aid with caffeine essentially. Nice, great. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, yeah, I'll get. Get a hookup for that. And it's, that it's inexpensive? You, Does it beat, like, the, the two-for-four Monster Energy drink deal? It does, because their ratios are insane. So it's, it's a... Uh, you, you, it comes in, like, tubs. You just get a tub of powder. It's that you a mix powder in with shit. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> Jesus. So I can put vodka in this thing. I can't be trusted with that. I would 100%, like, have fucking heart palpitations, because I'd, like, double scoop it every time. Yeah, and is this... Uh, you're supposed to. They, they recommend a double scoop for, like, a 16-ounce glass or something. And I'm like, I use... I, I use, like, half a scoop for, like... A forty ounce bottle, <laughs> and I'm like, this is a little sweet for me. Is it, so I don't know what the kids. So are what? Doing, what is but. it? Is it does it have like taurine in it and caffeine or like what's the setup? Is it? It's got. It's just like a, a pretty standard whatever your Monster Energy has in it. The the proprietary blend for one of these companies, which is yeah, basically just B vitamins and caffeine and usually touring. I just right? love the idea that if I were to walk into your apartment right now, there'd be a big tub of gamer fuel sitting on the counter. <laughs> I mean, the tubs are not overly large. It's, it's not an obtrusive thing. It's not a Costco size. I don't think you would notice it, as, is what I would say. How, how do you think well, it's affected your game? Do you think you're a better gamer? I mean, I would be, uh, considering my caffeine addictions, I would say that without uh, some sort of a uh, supplementary intake then i would be not ever a gamer so i suppose in in that case it has in some ways uh improved my gaming wow. abilities by making me be awake we gotta get a gamer fuel sponsorship for the podcast gamer fuel hit us up man uh, i'm i'm obsessed with this stuff now sorry like gamer powder this is uh this is a game changer can game you changer. use like vodka in this thing because because I'm kind of like, a, like my gamer fuel mostly is beer, which is not the greatest. Well, it's it's a bad gamer fuel, but then towards the end, it gets pretty great. Although the gaming aspect slips away. But at uh, this... I mean, if we want to preserve our, our hopes at a sponsorship, considering what gaming is and how people market to them, I'm going to assume with 100% certainty that there is a separate product called gamer fuel so let's keep in mind that this is in fact called g fuel, <laughs> g fuel. sorry so 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 far i've i've already got the product name wrong and i have linked gaming to racism oh yeah so 
Shit. Okay, can we do a do-over, like a mulligan on this segment? Yeah, what if I sniff it? Is that, does it say not to do that? <laughs> you snort a line before, yeah. before cranking Just up your PS5. blasting rails and then playing Halo all night. <laughs> oh, game, game fuel is in fact a Mountain Dew product, so there is you it, are. Okay, alright, so I'm not, I'm not completely insane. Okay, so there's G Fuel and there's Game Fuel, and, and those are different things. See, it's just, this is G Fuel educated. could fuel... G Fuel could fuel all kinds of things that begin with G. Right. So that's... that's yeah, I call it genius fuel. Right. Myself. That's good. That's smart. That's totally a thing it could be. Wow. It's, it's kind of like, uh, like that Limitless pill, you know? It just really unlocks a lot. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so welcome to the Gamer Pod. Uh, I'm Steve. These are my Gamer Boys. And... We're talking about the one thing that all gamers agree is is awesome, and that's direct-to-video, shot-on-video horror films, right? All my gamers know. Uh, Steve, <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but you're not correct. Boarding House is, is only known because it was, in fact, not direct-to-video. Oh. oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, that's the big... This was, this was theatrically released. Which is insane. <laughs> yes. It's quite, especially when you watch the thing that's labeled theatrical cut, you're like, oh boy, someone really fucked with this. <laughs> it's not insane that it's it, it's theatrically released. It's insane that this dude went to the trouble of putting it on 35 mil to get it in theaters when it was yeah. not shot like that. Well, so that, it's that's it's the whole a thing, right? He sh it, this is like the first horror film that was shot on video, and he did that to save money. But then he decided to theatrically release it, so he had to do a 35 millimeter blow up of his shit tape that he shot in 1980, right, which which reportedly <laughs> cost him about 35 grand. So I don't know how much <laughs> he saved overall. Which but, sounds like it's at least twice the budget of the rest of the movie just to blow the thing I up on 35 it has millimeter. To be. <laughs> I don't know. He had to pay a lot of these women to. Do a lot of unsavory That's things. That's true. He's got a former penthouse playmate in there. I mean, those can't be cheap, this right? Is, this is the best movie ever because, first of all, it, it, written, directed, starring John Wintergate. And if you don't know who that is, he looks like... Fuck. I, if you don't know who that is. Who, that what, is. who the fuck knows who I don't know. Like, I mean, Steve, you're talking You're talking about a guy whose name is... Both of his his monikers in the credits are spelt wrong yeah. in his own movie. That's true. Well, if, I, It's a stylistic choice. John with two I really don't think it was. And he's acting under a different moniker, and apparently that's also spelt wrong. It was supposed to be Hank, and it's Hulk. Well, wait a second, though. Let's say, let's say you're making a movie, okay? And the movie is about Malcolm McDowell trying to impersonate Sting. And then you get John Wintergate to play the lead. <laughs> and this is the oh. coolest concept for a movie. Because, like, the, the plot of the movie also feels like the reason why he made the movie. So it's about a guy who's got a big house and he puts an ad in the paper that's like, hey, are you a, a horny little slut gal? Because why don't you get your hot coochie down to my house and you can live here for, for cheap in my sexy home, singles only. And then all these ladies show up. <sighs> and that, that was probably his casting call. Like, <laughs> slightly different language. Like, I, 
I don't. I was hoping one of you had done the insane thing and hunted down the DVD that has the fucking like three hour. <laughs> I don't know if anything has show. that because I feel like the no. the American genre film archive edition, which is what Steve and I watched, I think has like four different cuts and none of them are that so and i feel like if they didn't it's a two blu-ray release this is the most like lavish release of an absolute cultural obscurity that i've seen in a while i feel like if they don't have it on that then it, it, i don't know if it exists probably locked it's, in wikipedia claims that the uh the slasher video uh 2015 d two disc dvd has an unofficial extended 157 yeah version. it exists and uh, there's there's people that have watched it there's there's some discussion about it on letterbox so uh i don't think anyone's very happy with it so i don't <laughs> well i was hoping one of you had watched it just because i wanted to know if his like our protagonist uh john wintergate if his introduction was any different because in this when he's like, I mean, he we have like an introduction of him via like his own inner monologue while he's like walking around this house, apparently having posted this ad. And it's just like, it's not exactly flattering. It's not protagonist material. It's just like he's going like, eh, I can't wait till these girls get in here. It'll be a real bachelor's paradise. I'm like the fuck kind of yeah. way is that that's good everybody loves the lecherous landlord that's that's my favorite type of hero it's very confused because i feel yeah because i mean and first off okay this movie's great i agree with steve this is an amazing movie i kind of have already modeled up what happens because i feel like the introduction to him was with him sitting in his tidy whitey underwear on a desk uh, practicing his telekinesis. Well, that's maybe the other that aspect later. of his personality right so lecherous right. landlord who inherits a spooky house where people get murdered. And then also he likes to meditate in a fucking banana hammock so he can bend spoons or something with his mind. So I don't, I don't know. That may have been the introduction, I, but either way, the introduction to, to him at, at his newly inherited property is straight up VO of him doing like the creepiest voice imaginable talking about how he wants to have sex with, uh, all these women who he's going to take advantage of in his boarding house. It, it's just, it's very, it's a very odd choice it, is, is all I'll opens. say. And I wondered if it was the director's original choice in the, uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a good question. Film. None of this really fits together too, too neatly, which is, I guess the film's charm at this point. It's worth bearing in mind the film, op the actual opening in the movie is kind of two different murders that happened previously in the house. And they are interjected by this, text scroll like this computer feed out scroll uh with this just incredibly grating sound as the text comes up and it's like the the letters are huge so it's like constantly you know like for every piece of text that comes up takes up like a third of the screen so it's like constantly printing it up really slowly and this grating sound and it just keeps yeah. going on and on and on and then and i was like oh god this is fucking annoying and this is how the movie opens like this is your introduction to the movie and then it stops and you're like oh god it's done and then it does one more line immediately <laughs> just so you're like ah and you're like okay that's that's a great joke okay that's like austin powers like smash the joke into dust and then keep going it's a jerry lewis kind of a thing almost right and like like mm -hmm. you know you've been through hell and and now there's just a little bit more and then it plays the next murder 
And then there's more text scroll. It goes back <laughs> to it again. It is the most infuriating thing I've ever heard. Like literally the probably the most unpleasant film experience I've ever like just fundamentally just oh, awful. It's such uh, a good whiplash moment too, because the intro song that they have, the music is incredible. It's like one of the best low budget it's amazing. like shot on video grimy synth scores that I've ever heard. It's an incredible song. And then that juxtaposes with uh, this wonderful exposition that we're beaten over the head with, which is, I'm not even joking here, it's text on screen and then the sound of an old, like, 1980s dot matrix printer, just, just horrible, horrible. And it's, hot, it's, and it's high it's up incredible. on the sound mix. Like, it's it's really up. Like, I was just turning the volume down and eventually Holly made me mute it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I actually thought that, like, I don't know. Like, like my, I had to do the same thing. I had to turn the sound bar all the way down because it felt like someone was just, just pressing ice picks into my fucking ears. It's a really great sound. <laughs> I, yeah, that follows like the opening credits are so bizarre. They're like this, like basic program. Yeah. <laughs> like old school. I, computer. I don't even, yeah. Right. But it's, it's, it does this thing where it's like overlaying and overlaying. It's like kind of oddly like retro, in a in a very artistic way, even though I doubt it read that way at the time or uh, was intended that way, but it, it's actually a pretty cool effect. Yeah, and yeah, that that score, which I don't know, I I still suspect that this score is not original to yeah. this film. Same. It says uh, it's an original it score like in the credits, but it sounds stolen because it's a, a much higher quality than anything else here. Yeah, it it feels too good to be in the movie, and it does. It feels anachronistic to me. It feels very much like synthwave stuff now. It feels almost too purely 80s to be from 1982 just some guy like uh, and maybe it is but it's it's fantastic it's great so i mean i'm not complaining but i really and there's no hint in the credits about it being from somewhere else so maybe we're maybe this really is just a diamond in the rough he found someone really great to do the music maybe he did the music himself he did everything else himself who knows? I think he is listed as part of the uh, the team that that crafted the, the theme song. There is he a member uh, of Thirty Three and a Third, the rock band too? I don't know that. Although there is more information on Thirty Three and a Third, like to be out there. Like that's the the one thing about this film that seems to have some sort of cult following for well, some the, reason. People are really into Thirty Three and a Third. I can't his wife why. Is, sings in them too, or sings with them. I don't know if she's a member. What is his wife's his wife, name? Is another his wife wife's name like, cinema. Her, her name is like Xanadu or something. What is his wife's name? Like actual name. I don't remember. Uh, Kalasu. <laughs> Kalasu. Yes, with a K. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, she's a real treat. Uh, yeah. it, this this whole movie is is unbelievable. <laughs> I I will ask you, uh, you fancy Blu-ray boys, one more thing. What, what aspect ratio is this presented in? Uh, I think it's in one eight five. I think it lo- I think it was like a full you know full widescreen presentation. Right, which. Uh, that's what it was on the uh, the uh, available now on YouTube version as well. Um, which to me. So maybe it's just that he doesn't know how to use a camera, but I, I think that perhaps his his SOV format was not, in fact, widescreen. The um on the Blu-ray, I did check the um, I think it's a tape version that's also on the same disc. On the first disc of the Agfa release is the video version, and that is, I think, in full screen, and also comes with a 
it, it's great actually it comes with uh, an explanation of what i think he calls horror vision the film is presented in horror vision by the way yeah in case you don't uh, know and if you watch the movie <laughs> you'll have no idea what that is but he explains there's a voiceover in the video version that explains that horror vision is basically whenever the like scary noise sounds and the picture goes kind of psychedelic that means you can turn away because something terrible is going to happen so that's horror vision is basically just kind of standard horror film effect to let you know something's about to happen yeah and it's like when there's like a black blob in the middle of the frame yeah, whenever like the hand and the psychedelic thing yeah, yeah we, any of that stuff with that like you know ominous tone mm -hmm. that accompany if you watch it again you'll realize that happens every time something's about to happen and that's apparently his concept that's horror vision that's horror vision yeah um, it's good you know that, yeah. that way you know when to when to cover your eyes up it's very useful and who doesn't love when you're watching a movie and then all of a sudden there's just like some psychedelic oil slide projector nonsense that happens and the soundtrack goes whoop, 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 whoop. so you know it's about to be spooky that's a good good alert yeah this is this is one of those that again maybe they cleaned it up maybe the agfa really uh, did some work on the thing but it's it's one of those that's kind of hard to watch without headphones <laughs> it's all over the fucking place the sound is crazy i i assure you even on blu-ray it does not look cleaned up it looks like ass <laughs> yeah it definitely looks like ass but but it's the best movie ever made in case anyone's wondering uh, oh, oh it, totally. it is yeah, absolutely 100%. i i don't even know like i trying to figure out the plot it's pretty simple you got your lecherous landlord man. Is it? And and then and okay. then everybody moves in and the house like murders people, but outside of those nuts and bolts, I think it's a little difficult to parse what exactly's happening. And also there's the briefly mentioned before uh, like psychic abilities that John Wintergate possesses, which is presented in the best right. way ever. He's like making fucking spoons float and shit. And one of the women in his harem is, uh, she's in the kitchen with him, and she says, "Oh, well, how do you do that?" He goes, "Oh, it's easy. <laughs> Anyone she, can do it." They're in the it. bathroom. Yeah. Steve, just to clarify how weird this movie, he's in a bathtub when he gives her that explanation. Oh, right. She's just sitting yeah, next to him in a bathtub. He psychically spins the soap round in the. That's in right. The yeah. Psychic soap. But I was thinking of. Uh, there's a scene later in the movie where it's like I don't. They're making breakfast, and he's doing psychic tricks. So. Oh, you, there, that happens too. Yeah, no, it's very confusing in terms of fact that like he's just a dude and he's like he puts in an advert for like my 10 bedroom house and hot babes come and apply, which is clearly I mean, it's he's propositioning women to basically hang out in the house and have sex with them. Like it's very straightforward. And then they do. I, I guess they do. But the, the women keep talking about how they love this place because no men are allowed on the like above the first floor. It's like a guy free zone. And then they just hang out in the bathtub with the landlord and go skinny dipping incessantly while the uh, gardener who came with the house, <laughs> who's also hey, he played... saved his father and Nam. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's right. He saved the protagonist's father and Nam, and he's also played by John Wintergate. <laughs> uh, and he basically just runs around with like a chainsaw or or a, like a garden shears or whatever, and basically just looms over the women and terrifies them. And they keep telling the guys like he's really scary. And the guy's like, no, nah, he's fine. He's, he's okay. Oh, that's a red and he herring. He just walks Come around on. the edge of the... 
Yeah, he just walks around the perimeter of the swimming pool with a chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one scene, he just takes a chainsaw like inches away from a woman who's just setting it off to space. It's like, this is not acceptable. It's kind of like a more absurd version of the the gardener guy with the chainsaw in pieces. Do you remember that? The guy with the beard? Yeah. yeah. But this just, that's like one scene, and this is throughout the whole movie. He just never goes anywhere. This this is a hundred percent a movie. If you like pieces, this probably will work for you. That's actually, you know, honestly, that'd be a pretty insane double bill. Mm-hmm. I'd enjoy that. So, so the thing is, though, isn't the entire premise a red herring? Like, there is nothing going on with this house, as far as I can tell. By the end of the film, right? Isn't it all just? related to the the daughter of this Dr. Hoffman, who is uh, coincidentally uh, also here, I, I guess, like kind of sneaks into his uh, his new rental pad. Yes, yes. she can After maybe. flowers around the <laughs> penis statue in the garden. Yeah, I don't even think we have a, a haunted house or anything of that sort. I think it's just the, the psychic. It's two psychics duking it out. One on the side of good and the other on the side Classic of evil. Well, and one on the side of lechery and good and the other on the side of evil, listen, maybe. Listen, all I'm saying is, Nuance. you know what? You want to live in my house? There's a gardener who's going to stare at you and hold a chainsaw six inches away from your face. Fucking deal with it. Uh, can you have men in the house? Also, no. the rent is so cheap. <laughs> yeah, the rent's cheap. I'm the only man that's allowed on the second floor. You must visit me in the tub. <laughs> Please excuse my banana hammock lifestyle. John Wintergate not wearing pants ever. Or and, and if he does have no, he's pants, going... probably no shirt. He he walked so Tommy Muzo could run, frankly. Oh, yeah. Also, his house is in tremendous disrepair, so I don't know why. Oh, Jesus, the shower scene is terrifying because no one has ever cleaned that shower above yeah, that's anything else. the scariest else. thing in any horror movie. Like, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, was, and I was thinking about what really unsettles me in a movie, and my mind immediately went to Andy Milligan's Seeds, which has the most disgusting bathtub I have ever seen in a movie. Uh, and... You know, boarding house right up there. So it's another good one. Or God, what's that fucking gummo? That kid eating spaghetti in the bathtub. That's well. Well, at least that's a yeah. choice. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, these are just like this is this is just his bathtub that he hasn't cleaned in six years. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a, a movie that seems more disturbing on like a, a subtextual level. Like I don't know. It's it, like what is our protagonist's plan here to be Charles Manson? That seems to be the case. I mean, he just he <laughs> listen. He's got it. He inherited this house, and he wants to bang chicks. What's the easiest way to do that? Should I invite them over? No, I'll make them live with me under some weird rules <laughs> around some strange people, and then I will sort of you know, position myself <laughs> to have sex with them. It's a normal thing. Yeah, I'll mentally domineer them and develop my psychic powers, and we'll see where things go from is, there. Is there like, any, I think yeah. we see where it's things are going dating, from here, man. You're gonna fuck- <laughs> is, is there any suggestion he has mind control powers? Like, he just moves things. He can't, like, the women seem, so far as I can tell, they just, they're, they're drawn to him because of his natural sexual charisma. Yeah, he's a real pickup artist, right? He's a gross little weasel I don't think who does he's parlor a- tricks to impress women. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think he's a like a Sven Gali or something. I think he's. A, I don't know. I'm sure lots of women slept with Yuri Geller because they thought he was <laughs> fucking powerful or something. It's just it's just one more fucking thing to make up for that. Uh, the stuff that's not filling that banana. There's just there's just this incredible disconnect between Wintergate, who seems like a man who spends a lot of time in a gym. Like he's got zero body fat. He like obviously works out enough to just be he's that like real wiry kind of like drug adult build almost. And then he's just wearing like just a skimpy underwear for almost the whole movie. And then like, you know, to counterpoint that with the filthy shower and the like every room is like just full of stuff. Like I'm I don't know where they shot this, but like I don't think it's production design putting this stuff in there. I'm pretty sure it's just in live places they live. Uh, and it's just kind of like the whole movie is just kind of gross and, and crowded and messy. Like the pool is the only part of this house that feels like it has any kind of restful qualities whatsoever, except for the gardener who ruins that. But otherwise, <laughs> he's running around the whole just, time. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't hurt a fly. I, can, I just can't. I can't stop thinking about just like lecherous spoon bender, man. Like, what? <laughs> Just imagine like Yuri Geller with an erection and he makes his dick kind of like <laughs> curly cue around. Just like the spoons. I mean, it's like one of those like sicko pickup assholes or something. I mean, you were talking about Chris Angel the other day. Why do you think he picked up magic? Yeah. Chicks dig mind freaks. <laughs> exactly. The the original mind freak, John Wintergate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's done anything since this movie, has he? Like, he made a kid's movie, which is horrifying, considering the type of person has, I believe he is. He has another, what they call, like, a family movie or a home movie, which is on the Agfa thing, too, and actually looks good because it was shot in 16 mil, but uh, I don't know what it is. But yeah, he, he only has, I think, three directing credits, not many more acting credits. You think he's in jail? Seems like he's... <laughs> like i mean if i learned that it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest yeah. it just this movie just feels like it it just escaped into into the public and we should be grateful for that but it, it does leave a lot of questions it for does. sure it's it's truly truly a blessing to have experienced this film and thank you to the american genre film archive for just bringing us this beautiful home edition yeah, I I honestly like it's impossible to even like describe what is happening in this movie. Uh for the first half hour, I I, I mean, maybe it, even despite the fact that we did not watch the uh pushing 3 hours cut, it still it still manages to almost wear out its welcome by the uh 87 minute mark, but uh for that first half hour, this thing is just pure joy. And it's also like, I, I just can't describe what's happening with this, because obviously at some point, like to say it was cut down is an understatement. Like, I don't know what the fuck the editing process was to get this <laughs> oh, theatrical cut, so but good. there are just scenes that are like <laughs> that are like seconds long and end mid sentence. Yeah, yeah there, it, I mean, it was cut down, but it's still like there's and not even there's at least one or two scenes that aren't even scenes. It's like a, it's like it's a snip. A snippet just remained like they i don't know if editing on tape video is harder or something like there's it cuts into scenes and then leaves instantly back to something else yeah it's it's pretty impressive it's, it's unbelievable I, I think the best way i could describe it is i was watching glenn danzig's verotica a few weeks ago and one of the things <laughs> that really struck me about verotica is danzig 
because he is he's an amateur filmmaker, he tends to linger on shots for five to ten seconds longer than he probably should. So all of the editing in Veronica, it it feels like someone yelled cut and the camera's still going, and you're like, what a <laughs> why, why why am I watching this? Whereas when you're watching John Wintergate <laughs> and his masterful boarding house, it is the exact opposite. Everything is is being cut five to ten seconds probably before it should be. And then, like you said, it feels like little snippets of things that were cut out just kind of fell back into the master reel somehow. And I don't know how that works. <laughs> like if this if this was a digital film and then you do the thing like you, you ever editing and then you're like dragging stuff around on, uh, you know, parallel timelines and in your in your workflow. And then sometimes you'll accidentally throw something on there. They're like, oh, God, I was supposed to get rid of that. Well, no, this is like you're physically cutting fucking film, presumably, or you're even if it's shot on video, you know, you're you're dubbing out these parts. I don't know how some of this stuff got in here. Did he watch it? After I'm he assuming. It? Wouldn't you I, watch I'm this? assuming if his original cut is like two hours, 40 minutes long, which is insane, just an insane imposition on anyone. And he wanted to blow it up. He he, because the thing is, he shot on video. As he mentioned, he he transferred it to thirty five millimeter to get it into allow for it to be played in theaters. And um, I'm assuming, first off, the longer your movie, the more thirty five mil you need. That's just right. how that works. So I'm guessing, and also to get it into cinema, cinemas like shorter movies, particularly when they're made by a lunatic and have no market benefit <laughs> whatsoever. So I'm guessing two hours, 40 minutes, they were like, no, thank you. 88 minutes, though? Certainly. So I think he, he must have cut the movie down, maybe, and done it quick, <laughs> real quick, and then transferred to 35 mil uh, without even... You know, I, I guess he just wanted to get it cut down as quickly as possible. He was probably very excited at the prospect of this getting into a cinema. I mean, played and everyone just thanking him and talking about how he's the next John Carpenter or whatever. Um, so, so I'm guessing that must be, it looks like a rush job. Um, it's just wild uh, how, how the movie fits together. But it's also really the strength of the movie because, and, I, and I'm quite earnest, earnest in this, like, I think it's a really great, enjoyable experience. I really like this movie. Aside from the horrible text scroll noise is the most grating thing imaginable. The rest of the movie, though, has this weird, that great dreamy kind of effect. It's just everything's a little off. Everything's unpredictable. There's sort of a kind of a, a just disconnect between everything that's happening. It's this is a great movie to kind of like, I think would be a great movie to like kind of fall asleep to to come in and out of it feels like you're doing that anyway because certain scenes don't imagine like, opening start and then your just eyes end. and you just see a leopard print man thong just <laughs> that's it you know it, John it's, Wintergate, it's just, he, it, he turns the male gaze on himself <laughs> well that's what i'm saying he's like tommy was but tommy was took off the the banana hammock too yeah, he was like true. we're going all in full full on and he, but but it's it's just this kind of uh, atmosphere that's really difficult. It's very difficult to do on purpose, <laughs> which many yeah. of these films haven't. So this reminds me a lot. It reminds me a lot of Jess Franco, and Jess Franco is one of the only people who could do it on purpose, kind of. But Franco did it, I think, for the purpose of having so much stuff that he was working on at all times and moving between them that uh, 
so many of his films don't have, I think, an internal logic. They have a logic in relation to each other, uh, whatever else he was working on at the same time. So his movies just kind of swim around in the, you know, and Franco gets distracted by just textures and, and things he has access to. Yeah. And it's really beguiling and interesting if you can get on that wavelength. This movie has it, but it's it's... It's really because I don't think Wintergate knew what he was doing exactly throughout it. And this this kind of scuzzy video element to it makes it feel like you're kind of peeking in on something that you're not meant to be seeing. You know, it's a movie that feels like no one should have ever seen this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has just, very I mean, strong vibes. Franco is a good parallel, but this feels like it, it's the wrong kind of horny. I, I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then that that I guess positions Jess Franco as the right kind of horny, and I don't even know if that's true. I think another good parallel would be uh, a movie that we talked about briefly uh, a few weeks ago. I think I put it over. Uh, Devil Story. <laughs> that's another uh, yes. one where you're like, I, this is a dream nightmare. I don't know ex entirely if, if this was on purpose or if this is some beautiful mistake, but it's uh, it's a vibe, man. It's a vibe. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's 100 percent like this is this is less, you know, a, a movie traditionally what a lot of people would look for. This is very much kind of like a, just a, a peek under the hood of someone in 1982. It's an absolute like bizarre prospect. And uh, yeah, I mean, someone fucking disturbed as shit. I'll say that. Certainly. Like I. I Wintergate is I I don't know I, I maybe this is just uh, masterfully written and acted but I I get the sense that it's a self insert and uh, who <laughs> not a flattering <laughs> self insert no well he's, it's very much I mean it has that cynical eighties vibe to it of just you know it's it's basically just tits and ass that's the whole prospect behind it. it's like it's a house full of ladies getting murdered while they're naked you know it's it's market dynamics it's exactly what everyone was trying to do uh, but then he sticks himself in the middle of it and it's inexplicable and no one wanted to see that and his wife is is the main lead who honestly only emerges the main lead because you really they keep cutting back to her oh another thing that's super annoying about this movie along with the text scroll notes is uh, whenever his wife starts screaming they just they just leave the camera on her she just screams incessantly for what feels like minutes at a time uh, whenever anything scary happens it's quite annoying so this is a movie that would be great to kind of fall asleep to except that every so often has the most annoying <laughs> soundtrack in the universe yeah, I was going to say, if you want to make sure your nap stays under an hour, you'd be good to go. Because, man, if you doze off and we get back to the fucking computer scroll at the end, you'll be completely fucked. Colossu, <laughs> then, is the one who has the uh, the brief trip through the, the spooky haunted graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the graveyard on site on the house, I guess. Oh, man. No, it's a dream, Jack. It's dream logic. Is uh, yeah, maybe. I, it's hard to tell. You know, I mean, is it dream logic? Because there's also one scene where they're just walking down railroad tracks in the middle of what's clearly a rail yard. Like there's just multiple, multiple tracks and train carriages parked everywhere. And our uh, the woman uh, just says, "My mom used to bring me here all the time." <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> why why did your mom keep bringing you to the railroad yard and the inference is that it's near the house 
which uh, doesn't look like it's near anything. I think railway yards <laughs> tend to try not to be. This is the kind of movie we're dealing with. Just inexplicable stuff like that. There's another one of my, my other favorite parts of this movie is where uh, our, our brave hero brings a girl to the beach and he's making out with the girl at the beach. I was just about to bring this scene. And then someone smacks him in the back of the head with a rock. And the girl's immediate response is, what the hell did you do that for? Like, that's a standard response to someone violently assaulting your boyfriend. And then she is immediately murdered. Yes. Of course. And then, but for some reason, Wintergate just, like, returns home and is like, man, my head was split open with a rock. And and uh, my roommate has disappeared. This all seems normal. I guess her husband had her go home with him. Yeah, that's, what? and that's the thing. Then later they investigate and they're asking her. It's like, when did you last see her? It's like, I think she went to the beach. And it's like, that's <laughs> hardly good enough. I'm a big and she went to the beach with a guy <laughs> who's still around. The one cop is like basically oh. like Dean Lerner, like a Richard Iotti character. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just, oh, this movie is so good. It's, it, so it's good. just really absolutely like an onion, baffling. just layers and layers of, of wonderful things. <laughs> you know what helps add to the uh, dreamlike confusion of the whole thing is that there are legitimately like 10 women in this house and half of them look exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> so you're never sure who's on camera at any given no, time. It's like, like all, the only ones that, that stick the rock out star is, or? <laughs> yeah, there's there's Xanadu and then there's the, the rock star girl. Whose entire thing I don't understand, uh, because isn't isn't the rock star girl also Xanadu? Yeah, that's, you're right. You know, you're right. Xanadu and the rock star are the same person. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who could say? I think Wait, who's so. the girl with the cat? <laughs> that's uh, Kalasu. That's Xanadu too. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> So the only person with One a defining of, characteristic is Xanadu, and nobody else. So so here's what well, my... Well, there's the blonde psychic woman, I guess, right? But there's also, like, another blonde woman who looks the same as her, and I think also sleeps with John Wintergate. My, my, research, like, my research has turned up, uh, I believe, the girl at the beach, who I think is Cindy, maybe? Could be Cindy. <laughs> is uh, She is, I think, a former playmate or uh, something like that. Or maybe, maybe she isn't. I don't know. One of them is like a penthouse model, okay? So he's like, clearly he was like bringing in, you know, they're like women who have no problem being nude. Uh, that's a, a big thing. It's my um, favorite kind. And then, but then one of the other ones is, is yeah, Selma oh Cole. Okay, one of the other women, and I don't remember who she is. She plays Sandy. Who is Sandy? I don't remember. I, you know, <laughs> Sandy, Cindy, Susie. These are all names of this fucking movie. <laughs> you can understand our confusion. Okay, but Selma Cora, who plays Sandy, uh, actually has went on to work in like production design. She was a production design aide, and she's worked on like Heat and Cradle to the Grave and Pearl Harbor, and various movies that are actually real movies. Oh, wow. Um, so that's that's probably the closest thing this has to any kind of legitimate cinema legacy, is that one of the women went on actually work below the line in, in you that, know, real movies. That's the only movies. way that I believe that this movie's actually real, is that there is someone in it who went on to actually do something. Otherwise, I... I really wish they could have tracked her down to... I, I mean, I want an oral history of this. There is yeah. an audio commentary I should listen to, but, like, I, I cannot imagine what series of circumstances led to this film happening. Mm. Okay, further note, uh, 
Selma Cora, who you're just referencing, is is credited in this film as Belma Cora. I think the credits, whoever did it's the credits, Belma. <laughs> they just have different credits because they fucking typed it wrong in the credits. It's just the same thing with, yeah, John Wintergate with two N's. Also in that opening computer scroll, I believe telekinesis is spelled <laughs> wrong at one point. It reminds me of what is it, Naked Gun that had the opening text thing where they couldn't spell assassinated and it keeps getting deleted and retyped. <laughs> but they just went with the first guess, just like, good I mean, enough. Listen, they're shooting this on video. There's no way they could have just rewound it and shot it again, okay? This is, this is what they had to deal with. <laughs> You know, it's it's tough. What the fuck, man? This is this is a great movie. Everyone just you need to own this. Also, if <laughs> the the set, the actual set from for Magva is amazing. It's got this beautiful slip cover. It's it's pretty comprehensive. Unfortunately, it doesn't have the three hour cut that I know you're pining for, but <laughs> it is it is a treat. So highly recommended. And you know. Throughout the course of this podcast and sister podcast, Caustic Content, we've watched a lot of movies where you, you stop and you say, was this made by a 12-year-old? I believe I raised the question on the last episode when we watched Martial Law, and I had a pretty strong theory <laughs> that was backed up by evidence that this was actually just written by a 12-year-old. Now, what if I told you, you could watch a movie made by a 12-year-old? To which you would say, yeah, Steve, a lot of us had our dad's fucking mini DV camcorders and made stupid movies when we were kids. This is nothing new. But what if I told you that a girl that was 12 years old made a movie and then somebody made a documentary about her making a movie and now that movie, however many years later, 15 years later or whatever, is being released by Vinegar Syndrome on Blu-ray and that movie is Pathogen. So the, the real question here is, are you guys ready to dunk on a 12-year-old girl? I mean, we've done it before, <laughs> right? There, there was that. I'm going to leave that to there Adam. Was a, yeah, he I'm loves not going to dunk on this. No. This, this is, well, you know, this is nice. There was that Resident Evil thing that, they, that we covered on Cost of Content. I, I was actually more fond of that. I think Steve was the one who was, like, furious about it. It was just two kids. Making a little Resident Evil fan film. You guys need to make new fucking life decisions. What the hell? What, what are you doing? Well, yeah, I don't know. That's that's uh, how we do it. Yeah. You know? I thought this was okay. I thought this was nice. Yeah, this, um, it, it, it is. It's, it's nice. 70, <laughs> it's what? It's like 70 minutes long or so. Like yeah. it, it keeps it pretty short. It's Here's things I like about this movie, okay? And, and granted, this is movie that when you were watching it, when we say like, oh, can you believe in uh, 12 to, I think she was between 12 and 14, I guess, while the film was being made. So in between those, that kind of time span, um, you know, if you say, oh, can you believe like a, a teenager made this movie? You absolutely can. The yes. movie absolutely looks and sounds like it was made by a teenager. It's not polished in the least. Uh, it's absolutely insane. Um, but what I do appreciate is first off, and I don't, I don't know if this is the case, but, um, one thing I think is really is actually kind of fun and nice about it is that I feel all of the actors and the actors are most of them are obviously her friends and probably her parents and friends, parents and a few others. Um, 
they didn't make any attempt to clean up her script. I feel like they really respected the script the 12-year-old wrote, mm -hmm. which is honestly, you know, I think it's the correct thing to do as an actor. You respect the script and the words on the page. Everyone's just humming and hawing and stumbling through these incredibly, like, obvious kind of, like, when they need to, like, do uh, uh, info drop. I mean, people just go off on tangents and they're, they're just they're, they're gesticulating wildly to make it look like they're acting. Um, people are, like, losing their place all the time. It's all in there. It's completely, you know, the news shows up and it's just like, I'm outside the Department of Health. And he's, like, standing next to, like, just, I don't know, any, you know, An building downtown somewhere. <laughs> H&R block, something like that. And it's, it's like, the Department of Health say they're looking into it. Just be sure not to drink any dirty water. It'll be fine. And it's like, this is, <laughs> the news would never say this, but it's it's just there 100%. Make sure you only drink water that is over seven days old. Right. <laughs> what the fuck does that How could you tell that? It's, yeah, I mean, this is great, this is great kind of like... And when Elbidimit. people make fun of me for just leaving that cup of water on my nightstand for <laughs> weeks on end, this is why. This is why I do what I do. Uh, but yeah, that's I, it. You're, I you were avoiding the pathogen. You're entirely right, Jack. And we talk about like different eras of of shot on video and how that translates. And there really is kind of this dividing line between the the early years in the '80s and then in the '90s. Uh, you get some stuff that's that's shot on video that's I don't know, maybe a little more cinematically competent than than some of the earlier stuff. And then you almost have an about face once. People get a hold of cheap consumer grade uh, video right, cameras yeah. because there was that explosion in the 2000s. Yeah. And because, you know, anyone can make a movie, which I think is great. Anyone should make a movie. But also there's a realization that not all these things are going to be quality. And one thing I can say about Pathogen, which, again, made by a 12 year old. I've watched plenty of shot on video movies made by like adult people who suck way more ass than this kid. So, there, I mean, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's real thought put into this movie, even if it's misguided sometimes. And there's these really, like, a kind of cinematic moments where you can tell she really thought this through and executed on it. And, and there's, there's a love here that isn't always evident in, in some quick and cheap shot on video movies. Even in, in the beginning when the titular pathogen gets into the water supply and she's got this little musical montage sequence where she's cutting between all these people, uh, you know, drinking water in various scenarios. And, and it, it's, it's nice. It's like really well thought out. And some of the kills, well, you know, the, the makeup effects, they are what they are, but there's a few things like a, there's a, a zombie that pops up in the bathroom at one point. It's like, Oh wow. She really thought about where she was placing her camera, where she was placing her actors and, and how this would all play out. And it's nice that a kid was thinking about this shit. And I'm not surprised that she went on to have a, a career as a writer and independent film director <clears throat> in the movie industry. Good for her. At the same time, this is a movie made by a child. So you better believe there's plenty of scenes where it's in a poorly lit living room and there's six kids sitting on a couch and the blinds are closed, but light is still pouring in through the... <laughs> <laughs> the holes in the vertical blinds and nobody talks about anything that matters. And you're like, what the fuck? Because 12 years old. 
but like like you know. with most of the movies of this kind of like uh production element honestly the hardest thing is the sound it's real difficult to pick up on what people are saying in a lot of scenes there's like background noise yeah. and just and one of them there's the boom is like constantly coming in and out of the shot you know it's just these things happen and um, that's probably your hardest entry to it other than that it is it is like watching kids putting on kind of you know they're a play that they they produced and you know that's it's kind of fun and i think horror is horror is exactly the genre that supports this kind of stuff you know and i think horror fans pretty much did rally behind this i think the reason this is known is probably it must have some kind of uh, link to ain't it cool news or whatever because we have um uh, what is a C Robert Cargill? He has a cameo in it, and he also worked behind the scenes on a few elements of it. And Harry Knowles has apparently a a voice cameo. So, and they thank the um, friend of the show. The, what's it Knowles. called? <laughs> yeah, everyone's favorite, Harry Knowles. I know this is this is why I can't get behind this movie. I'm like, how many members of this cast was Harry Knowles grooming? At the time? <laughs> well, that, that's that's another issue. Yeah, it's true. They do thank the uh, oh shit. What is it? The draft, whatever. Oh, the Alamo Draft House. house. Yeah, Alamo Draft House, who don't have a fantastic reputation on their dealing with certain uh, sexual predators, certain, like certain Devin Farage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, he's gone Buddhist. It's okay. Everything's fine. He's back on Twitter apparently now, and people aren't happy. So you know, but but yeah, it, it's kind of like it, it's got, I guess, traction through that f- local film scene. But, you know, good for her. She she made it, it, I think, gets it played theatrically there, probably as like a little event or whatever. You know, it's cool. This is, this is just a nice, fun story in cinema, and I'm glad people are kind of keeping it alive. The other thing that I really like about this movie is that it, it's very, obviously, like a very working class kind of thing. It's not big, lavish houses. It's not wealthy people. Like, she's shooting, obviously, around her own house and her friend's house, and it's just very kind of, like, regular, middle-class America. Um, and that's that's kind of nice, too, because, honestly, a lot of the times that people are like, you know, oh, I'm experimenting, I'm doing this and that. It's just, you know, they're rich, their parents bankrolled it, they did all this, they had loads of free time, they didn't have to work or anything like that. This is This feels really like small-town America, like actual, really, what it is. And that's, you know, laudable, interesting. It's it's not often, honestly, in any kind of a movie that, you know, they really turn cameras into actual homes that Americans live in, you know? Like, Jesus, if you, if you look at just American cinema generally, you would imagine, like, every single American lives in, like, a 3,000-square-foot, you know, Mac Mansion as just a standard, you know? That's struggling middle-class household. Um yeah. So I, more, just, more it, there's houses, nice elements. More houses with vertical blinds and messy basements, because that—that's what middle class America is about. So exactly, and that. beige carpet up and down the stairs, Hell and, and yeah. the, the landing that's just like, yeah, it's just like whole scenes shot on like the landing of someone's house, and I swear it's like three feet by three feet, and there's four people in there, <laughs> and you know, perfect. Uh, yeah, you guys can, you guys can have this. I mean, I'm glad it exists. Good, good that you got to make your I mean, thing. I don't think I'm going to watch it again anytime soon, but this was fun. You know, it's, it's not, it, you know, let some love into your heart, Adam. Come on now. I, it's caustic content. I'm telling you. I saw Resident Evil I've Childhood. I, I saw it. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. But, you know, this is the sort of thing you shoot it and you, 
you maybe show it to your your classmates or something your parents see it and they're like hey good job this is nice work maybe you'll even use it to get into some sort of magnet school or something but i don't need to fucking see the thing <laughs> well th there is a difference though and i think we needed to draw this distinction because it's important there's a difference between resident evil childhood which that's the name of the movie it's it's probably still streaming on Amazon unless it got yanked down for copyright infringement. I mean, it does have Resident Evil in the yeah, title. I'd say there's a solid chance it's, it's been, been eradicated. But <laughs> if you happen to find it, if you happen to be able to watch it, the, the difference there is it was a movie that a, a couple of 12-year-old boys made in, I don't know when, the, you know, the late 90s. And I think even younger. These they, were like, they kid, were like kids. kids. Yeah. And then they sat on it until 2020 and then they're like oh look this little videotape that we did when we were kids and then they added like credit scenes and they added weird special effects like just cheap ass after effects like cgi splatter and and all this shit so they they like resurrected this project from when they were kids and then they did all this work to it and then they dumped it on amazon with the name Resident Evil in it, so it would probably get pulled off. And there, I'm just like, why are you fucking doing this? You don't need, like, don't do this. This, There's no reason for you to be doing this. Whereas this is like a 12-year-old who genuinely wanted to make a, a movie, and she did it. She fucking pulled it off, and she released it when she was 12. And now, now, I mean, Vinegar Syndrome's coming back, and they're saying, hey, this is like an interesting artifact, and it's kind of weird, and there's, there's something here, so we're going to put it out. This isn't just some guy like, I found some home movies in my basement and have added CGI blood splatter to them. <laughs> That's a little different. I've seen what I've seen what vinegar syndrome's doing. It's it's like a small step above a guy pulling something out of his basement. <laughs> to be fair, I think it's one of their partner labels rather than vinegar syndrome is doing it. But no, I agree. I mean, this is this is an artifact of its specific time. She didn't rework it or anything. This was released as it was made in that format. You know, it's it's a document. That's that's fine. That's different than yeah, like some guys. You know, she didn't take it back in later. I don't think there's a director's cut where she like fixed it. It's not fixed at all, and that's you know, that's the way it should be. It's it's and it's just kind of one of those one-offs. I feel like that was um, I mean, 2006. I guess yeah, it was it was more and more people were making video content, but you know, it was a step above, and it's not like most. God, it's so difficult to get independent movies in theaters now anyway. It's just, you know, it's a nice story. Get behind it, Adam. Stop being such a grump. Yeah, Jesus. why do you hate I mean, children? I want to see independent movies in theaters like Boarding House. I just did. <laughs> Just imagine if you wheeled up to the multiplex tomorrow and just bought a random ticket and it was something that resembled boarding house in any way. Wouldn't that be the best day of your fucking <laughs> Adam, life? Adam, that would be better than what's in multiplexes <laughs> right now. Of course now. it would. Some, of some course of it would. On this podcast, that was the 80s. Some of us want young filmmakers to succeed and follow their dreams. And some of us want to give money to John Wintergate to take off all of his clothes. And, you know, that's the dividing line on Optimism Vaccine. Which, which camp are you in? That's it. Hey, I, if it's Harry Knowles or John Wintergate, well, I I don't know which choice I make. <laughs> one one last thing I want to say about Pathogen, because one thing I thought was, and I, I don't know if it was on purpose, but it doesn't matter, because, you know, death of the author, right? There's a really great joke later in this movie when uh, they're all holed up in the supermarket um, in probably a, a scene that's entirely uh, reminiscent of, of Dawn of the Dead and Messiah of Evil. I'm sure this 12-year-old kid definitely had those at the forefront of her mind.
Maybe Dawn of the Dead, honestly. Probably not Messiah of Evil. But they, they shoot a whole <laughs> thing in a, uh, in, in a little grocery store. And they have a, a face-off where they find out who's responsible. Where did this, this terrible flesh-eating virus or what zombie virus begin with? And they're doing it in, like, the baking aisle. And over the shoulders of the characters, what they're talking, there's just, like, boxes of brownie mix, which is words on them like moist and chewy. <laughs> and that's a funny thing to do in a movie about flesh-eating monsters. So, you know, I gotta give it points there. That's, that's cinema. What the hell is this movie about? What is it, a nano chip? There's a nano it's chip like, uh, that makes people... I, I, they explain it in belabored it detail some people, at one point. It makes some people into zombies and other people into, like, uh, body snatchers, something I'm not I sure. I fucking exactly. love the scene though, where the where with the girl reveals she's like patient zero, <laughs> and it's just like she delivers it like she's like a bully, like the school bully in this life. She delivers it basically like she's a cheerleader kicking someone else off the squad, <laughs> but she's talking about having like basically infected everyone, and they're all murdering each other now. Incredible sequence, you know. You won't find that anywhere else. Uh, sounds like something out of a fucking Resident Evil game. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we got to wrap things up. So, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Christ, we just recorded this two days ago. You think I watched something else mysteriously? <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> they don't know that. That's too inside baseball. They don't know we're recording back to backs. You're just you're ruining the mystique here. I'm trying to do some fucking spoon bending. Uh, well, uh, bend a spoon while I uh, think of something to put over, because I don't have any fucking you know, idea. Steve, you know, you know what I'm going to put over? What's that, Jay? I'm put over. I'm going to put over a, a pretty, pretty niche game called Bloodborne, all right? <laughs> and uh, it's, it's cooler than talking to people on the internet about dumb movies. It's very enticing. Um, I made the ugliest looking motherfucker I've ever seen in the character creation thing. He's named Chad. And Chad is having a rough time out there because I am not good at this game. And he is getting his ass kicked. That's tough, And man. Bloodborne, it's great. You just, you know, you run around, people are mad at you for some reason in Tim Burton land. And uh, that's, yeah, great. Good stuff. Elfin Light is like fucking $70. I'm not buying the Elfin Ring. Elfin Light is Elven? <laughs> Elden. Elden. Elfin Elden Elf. Ring. Elfin Ring. <laughs> That's what it is in my mind. I'm like, I'm not gonna play that goddamn elf game. <laughs> it's what's an Elden? No, I, old. I think Eld you know, like Elden, Elden like elderly. That's Olden. not. A, I don't think that's a thing. It's probably not. I, I'm guessing they made it up, but you know, so it goes. <laughs> I don't know. Bloodborne at least is like it's born in blood. I don't know what it is. Probably Chad's ass kicking love. Just loves getting his well, just getting beaten to shit by weird monsters. And Dark Souls and Demon Souls, those make sense because you you steal souls from scary monsters. So yeah, I guess Elden Ring's a real outlier here. We're gonna have to get to the bottom of it. I think you have to find the Elden Ring to become the Elden Lord, Master, mm. Savant. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, what does Elden mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Adam's on the case. Yeah, Myros, Myros is it putting means, over it means Googling fire shit on in a Swedish. <laughs> it means fire in Swedish. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. what they were going for. Yeah, Swedish fire ring. Duh, everybody knows that. Okay, well, this week I'm putting over a documentary that I watched, which wasn't great, but it was okay, and it's kind of an interesting subject matter. It's called Scream Queen, and it is about the gentleman who starred in... 
Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and uh, kind of the, the fucked up, sad, and eventually happy life that he lived as a direct result of that movie. Uh, but yeah, 1980s, not a great time to be gay in, in Hollywood, and he kind of got blackballed. And the writer of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, real piece of shit. Because he pretty much uh, blamed the uh, protagonist here of Nightmare on Elm Street 2 for being too gay for the role. And that's why everybody thought the movie was gay. It had nothing to do with the writing. So, uh, fuck it that guy. It had nothing to do with, like, whipping a man's bare ass in the shower. Why'd they make that so gay? There's nothing gay about that. <laughs> it's just insane. Okay, fine. I... You know, I don't think I've put over my uh, Czech New Wave uh, pick in a while, oh, so I, I'll, I'll say Diamonds of the Night. That's one for people to watch out for. Great it's, movie. It's, it's got some of the best, most beautiful handheld photography you'll ever see in a film. So, Does anybody uh, get their ass yeah. whipped with a towel? You watch it. Uh, I mean, considering it, it's a Holocaust oh. film, I don't oh, know yeah. how appropriate all, all that. Probably this might be your yeah. worst joke ever, Steve. <laughs> Shame on you. Well, you know, I, here here I thought it was about jewelry, but turns out it's about the Holocaust. All right. So, uh, yeah, Diamonds of the Night. That's a good one, I guess. Uh, hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, do us a big favor. There's a link that'll take you to our Patreon page in the description. And, yeah, you can give us money. And if you give us money, then you will get in the mail a DVD, Blu-ray, VHS tape, something, a movie from my personal collection. I'm going to send it to your ass. So that's exciting. And if you donate enough money, you can dictate an entire episode that we do. Do you, do you want us to watch John Wintergate's children's film that he made? Sure, we'll do that for, for $20. Just, you know, pay up. Also, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, if you wish to write several paragraphs about how I uh, should not talk about towel whipping in relation to certain films, optimismvaccine at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine and we would love to hear from you and you know what Jake's not here so Jack I'm going to give you the last word what the hell are you doing 